You know, in light of the Thanksgiving season, I thought it'd be fun to talk about this word here, ingratitude. <laughs> yeah, I know, let's get into it. Uh, and very, <laughs> now it's up there. <laughs> Cam, Cam's pretty good. I, hey, listen, I'm grateful for you. I'm not ungrateful for you. Uh, <laughs> well, actually, uh, yeah, nothing quite stings like ingratitude, you know? Uh, feeling unappreciated. And it stings because it feels like we're getting the exact opposite of what we think we deserve. And you know how this goes. You put yourself out there for someone, you trust someone, you believe in someone, you sacrifice for someone, you raise them, you hire them. Uh, maybe you marry this person and you tie your life to this person. And understandably, you expect something to come back your way, and when it doesn't, it stings. And I've found that ingratitude hurts because of words that are said, but many times ingratitude hurts because of things that go unsaid. It can even... Uh, it, it can even come across hurtful because of the attitudes that people exude, the, 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 the behaviors a person exudes. And either way, um, if we've been on the re receiving of ingratitude, we know how that feels. We know how it feels to be taken for granted. And here's the interesting thing about ingratitude. When it comes to ingratitude, the recipient is always aware but the initiator is rarely aware. And this is one of those mysteries of relationships. So you're in a relationship of any kind. You have a boss, you have a friend, you have a roommate, you have a spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, or a child. Have I hit most relationships? You're in any kind of relationship. And then all of a sudden, you think everything's going well, and all of a sudden, the person comes to you and says, I feel like you don't appreciate me. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been accused of being ungrateful? Nobody, oh, thank you for raising your hand. This is the first, the band, the band is the first group of people I've ever seen <laughs> raise their hands when I ask this question. No one's going to ever raise their hand for it. So let me ask this question a different uh, way. How many of you have ever been 13 years old? <laughs> there we go. Here's the interesting thing. Um, if any, someone ever accuses you of being ungrateful, our first response is generally to be, no, I feel grateful. Of course I appreciate you. I just said it to you last Thanksgiving, remember? And the problem is, is that many of us, we feel grateful, but if we have not expressed those feelings, we haven't expressed them in a way that they can hear it or that they know it, this becomes a relational disconnect. And here's why this is important. Gratitude and ingratitude are relationally determinative. They drive the direction and the health of your relationships. How much you are willing to trust somebody else and how much they're willing to trust you. And because there's such a disconnect sometimes in this, when we think things are good, things are actually bad. And this is a really, really big deal as we go into Thanksgiving. So I'm going to help set us straight, and then, uh, and then we're going to head out to our families, and I have a couple ideas of what we can do as a result of this. Um, now, we're going to be taking a look at this idea of gratitude. 
We're going to be looking at a story in the book of Luke. And Luke wrote about Jesus in a unique way. Uh, he wrote the story to fill in the blanks and gave little details that other authors about Jesus left out. And we can't find these details anywhere else in the Bible. And he actually investigated the details by talking to eyewitnesses who were there. And so Luke sets out to tell this chronological story about Jesus. And he takes us right, in, he takes us right into the heart of this idea of gratitude and ingratitude. And so the story begins in Luke 17, and here's what happens. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Pause. Um, if you know anything about Samaria, we know this is a region in Israel, and the people that lived there were called Samaritans. And Samaritans kept to themselves because they were rejected by the Jewish people. And the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along because Jews believed different things about God and Samaritans believed different things about God. And the Jews said that the Samaritans didn't follow the right traditions. So they were outcasts. And so here's what you need to understand in this. They were neighbors, but they were enemies. And so Jesus is on the border of Israel and Samaria and he's headed towards Jerusalem, which is the capital of Israel. And in verse 12, we read, as he was going along into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. Leprosy. I've heard a statistic recently that in the last 20 years, 16 million people have been cured from leprosy. But in this day and age, back in the ancient day, people thought there was no cure. People thought it was actually highly contagious. And it's a terrible disease. It damages your skin and your nerves, uh, the feeling in your fingers and your toes. And generally, society was so afraid of leprosy at this time, they made lepers live by themselves. Okay? It was like being in a prison without any walls. And you weren't allowed to go to worship. You weren't allowed to see your family. You weren't allowed to hang out in society and go to the market and hang out and participate in all the things that were happening in the market. And you were also a religious outcast because at this time, people were superstitious. They thought that God gave you leprosy. God gave it to you, so you are a religious outcast and you have to stay out there. And so the issue with this is that you could live a very long time, but it would be very lonely. And so what lepers would do is they go, man, this, this stinks. Let's go find some other lepers and let's build a colony. And so they would have these colonies of lepers that would all hang out together and they could survive together because they all had the same diseases and they would learn how to survive together. And so that's why 10 lepers come rolling in all at once. He must have hit a leper colony. So in verse 12 and 13, they stood at a distance. These are the lepers. They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus. Master, have pity on us. Now, generally in a situation like this, Jesus would respond to these requests and he would go over to the person, he would lay hands on the sick person and he would make them well, he would heal them. We see in the scriptures that he did this dozens and dozens of times. But instead, Jesus does something different here. He doesn't lay hands on them. He yells back at them and he says this. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourself to the priests. The lepers are far away, and Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. And then they're sitting there, they're like, he yelled to us, what did he say about a priest? I heard of something about a feast. I heard something about a beast. Something about my niece. I shouldn't have gone in for the last joke. But Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. 
what in the world is going on here? Well, there's three things, three things going on here. In the Old Testament, if you had a disease that caused you to be a social outcast, when you were healed of that disease or it went away and you got better, one of the things you had to do in order to go back into normal society and participate in a market and your family and the temple and all the things is you had to go show yourself to the priest. And the priest would look at you kind of like an untrained doctor. Imagine me being your doctor uh, today. Like, mm, yep, looks like you don't have the thing. Oh, you're dead now. Uh, <laughs> but basically, you go to the priest and the priest would check you out and he would be like, okay, you're healed. You can go back into normal society. So that's what's happening there. You had to go show your, the stuff you're to the priest. Okay, second thing is, we don't know where the local priest was in this story, right? We don't know how long of a journey it was for them. And so basically Jesus goes, guys, start walking. Start heading to the nearest priest. Imagine you're the priest and these 10 guys show up. Imagine what that would be like. Well, what's happening here? The priest might say, what's happening here? Well, a guy yelled at us and we yelled back and now we're here. Boom. And here's the third thing I want you to see about this. For these 10 lepers to start walking after Jesus says this, you're believing that something is going to happen along the way. You're believing that something is going to happen on the way to see this priest. And it is a real expression of your confidence or what we call faith. They're thinking, so for me to walk this far, for me to put myself out there with a religious leader Something had better happen. And so to do what Jesus is asking them to do requires an extraordinary amount of faith. And we don't know how long it was of a trip to go see this priest. We don't know if it was hours. We don't know if it was uh, days or weeks. We don't know how far it was going to take them. But here's what we read in verse 14. As they went, they were cleansed. And we don't know when they were cleansed. We don't know if it was instant. We don't know if all of a sudden, as they were walking, if it was in the first hour or the fifth hour. We don't know if it was an overnight healing on the way to see the priest. But at some point along the way, these ten men looked up and they realized that they all had been healed. Jesus had healed them. And this is where the story begins to intersect with our topic today. In verse 15, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. So everybody gets healed. They realize, oh my goodness, we're healed. They run off to go tell the priest and they get their clean bill of health and then they can go see their family. They can go see their friends. They can go back to the temple. So they probably start running off. They're like, oh my gosh, this is actually working. He, Jesus did have pity on us. But it says that one of them, when he realized that he had been healed, he turns around and he goes back to Jesus. And again, we don't know if that walk was one hour or six hours or days. But we see one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And essentially what he did brings us to our topic for today. This Samaritan, one of the enemies, the cultural enemies of Jesus, Jesus didn't see him as an enemy, but they were cultural enemies. This Samaritan 
he went back to thank the one who enabled him to move forward with his life. Every single one of us, no matter how awesome you are, no matter how talented you are, no matter how hard you've worked, no matter what you've been able to accomplish, doesn't matter how ambitious you are, it doesn't matter how disciplined you've been, all of us can look through the rearview mirror and we can see people who have made a way for us, who have made it possible for us to be where we are today. And all of us have people behind us that have helped us to become what we've become and to do what we're doing. And this guy understood that Jesus had made it possible and had enabled him to move forward with his life. And this is what the Samaritan did. Of all the people, this is what the Samaritan did. Now here's where we get to the tension of ingratitude and gratitude. Look at verse 17. And when we read this, we see that Jesus asks a question. And we don't know if he had a grin on his face. I bet you he had a grin on his face. And maybe, uh, and this is the question that gets at the heart of what we're talking about here. In verse 17 it says, Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? I think he asks it facetiously. I mean, I sent 10 of them. Only one came back? Did the healing not work? Did the miracle, am I out of, finally out of power? Was it too much healing? Did it not work this time? Then he asked another question. We're not all 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? Yeah, where are the other nine? And Jesus is a genius here. Because he's showing his audience that something is missing. There's something wrong with this picture. There's something incomplete. There's something open-ended. And there's something that is left unfinished. Uh, do you know this experience where something has been done for you, but there's still something unfinished, something incomplete, something left to be done? Are you familiar with this feeling? Um, every Halloween, we put Marin in some sort of banana or hot dog costume and send her over onto 16th Street, which has the most amazing Halloween stuff. And she goes door to door and she grabs candy, uh, usually one to two pieces. Uh, she's sneaky. And, uh, and it's usually um, a uh, and over in 16th North of Montana, it's some very large homes. So it's either uh, a very disinterested housewife or a housekeeper that comes and throws candy to the, to the commoners. And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, regardless if it's the nanny or the housekeeper or the actual homeowners, uh, we're not making a class issue uh, uh, here. I'm just playing it up. But um, regardless, when that, when that candy's given to Marin, uh, there's this moment where, like, she's walking, so she'll turn away, and you know what I'm going to do here, right? You know what the, what, what's the question that you tell your kid in that moment? Yeah, good. Thank you, Charles. Uh, or you go, what do you say? And, there's a, and then they whip around and they go, oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. And we, here's the deal. We can almost panic. Nikki and I can almost panic when Mary doesn't say thank you for a piece of candy from, uh, from a housekeeper. But as adults, we just find it easy to keep moving forward. And if you think about the people that have helped us go further and faster, we realize that they've done it for us. But if we failed to close that loop, something is missing. There's something that's left undone. And so here's, what, here's how the story plays out in verse 17. Jesus asks, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. 
Now, if you were to read this story in isolation, if you read it by yourself, your immediate reaction would be the same as my reaction, and you would, you would, you would think of it the same way that these, these, these nine guys, you would think of it the same way as a, a parent watching their kid not say thank you for a piece of candy. You would say, how ungrateful. These guys had leprosy. They had their lives just handed back to them. And now they're just going to go on their merry little way and not as much as a thank you? But here's the deal. Here's where it gets funky again. If you were to track down the other nine, if you were to go full stalker, you're going to go look them up, find out where they live, and you were to go up to them and slide in, and you're like, hey, and you were to say, hey, are you grateful? Are you grateful for what Jesus did for you? What do you think they're going to say? They're going to be like, absolutely. They'll probably say they're super excited. They would say, our hearts and our minds are filled with gratitude for all that Jesus has done. Of course, of course we're grateful for what Jesus did. This changed our lives. But here's what we can conclude. The other nine, they felt it, but they didn't express it. Is that a big deal? Well, Jesus seems to think so. Where are the other nine? Didn't we heal ten? We're not ten healed? Something's wrong. Now, as we head into Thanksgiving, this is a really big deal for me. And it's a really big deal for you. There is something, and this is something, that affects every single one of our relationships, either to the positive or to the negative. Every single relationship you have right now, every single relationship that I have right now, the principle is playing out to the positive or to the negative, and it's this. Unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. The gratitude you feel in your heart about people is awesome. But if it is unexpressed, the other person experiences something else. They experience your unexpressed gratitude as ingratitude. And it's very likely that the gratitude you feel is expressed to the other person as the exact opposite as you intend. It is felt the exact opposite of what you feel, but it goes even deeper than that. Unexpressed gratitude is experienced as rejection. And this is how it works. It communicates, hey, I deserve that. Or it's just my mom. She's supposed to do that. I pay for him to do it. That's his job. Or it's your job to support this family. So over time, if we're not careful, unexpressed gratitude has the same effect as rejection. And here's what I know about all of you. Our hearts gravitate towards acceptance and our hearts are repelled by rejection. This is why when you were growing up, your parents uh, didn't like some of your friends. And they're like, we think you should make new friends. And you go, yeah, but they're my friends, so I'm not going to make those changes. Why? Because your heart gravitates towards acceptance and your heart is repelled by rejection. And uh, ingratitude is a subtle, subtle form of rejection, which means that you can ingratitude someone right out of your house. You can ingratitude yourself right out of somebody's heart. 
You can ingratitude a kid right out of your home, and you can ingratitude the most person you claim to love the most just right out of your life. Ingratitude is a subtle form of rejection, and over time, it has the full ranges of rejection. And this is why we have to do something about it. This is why you just can't allow it to stay in your heart and in your mind. It's not enough just to feel it. We've got to communicate it. And it's critical for the relationships in our life. And regardless of our personality, whether you're expressive in your personality or non-expressive, if you're kind of like more, you know, reserved, you have to find, to get, you have to find the way to get whatever's in your heart and your mind about somebody. The positive parts. The gratitude that you feel. You have to find whatever it is that you feel about them out of what's in your head into the ears or into the eyes of the person for whom you're grateful. But it's even more than that. You can take it one step deeper. And this may bother you. And if what am I about to say actually bothers you, I think it's important that you pay attention to why it bothers you, okay? Unexpressed gratitude may indicate an inflated view of self. If it's in your heart, but you say you're not going to say anything, I don't need to say anything, they work for me, that's what they're supposed to do. She knows how I feel. I expressed how I felt three years ago overlooking that waterfall. He knows how I feel. I don't want to say anything. If I say anything, it's going to be awkward. In other words, if it's hard for you to say thank you, if it's hard for you to sit somebody down and look them in the eye and say, here's why I'm grateful for you. If it's hard for you to do that, you need to ask yourself why. Because you didn't get here today on your own. You didn't. You didn't get here on your own. And you got here today because of dozens and dozens of other people and a God that loves you. You got here because you're smart enough to know that there's people in your life and people in your story who have helped you along the way. And then if there's something in you that makes it very difficult to express gratitude, that's something that you're going to have to pay attention to. Because in the wake of your progress, in the wake of your success, and, and I know some of you may not feel successful today, but that's a different sermon. But like in the way, I mean, you're here and you have clothes on and you're here at 10 a.m. Amazing. So like uh, <laughs> air in your lungs. But in the wake of your progress, there are dozens and dozens of people who have helped facilitate that process for you. And there's a sense that you owe a debt of gratitude to those people. You owe that to somebody. And that unexpressed gratitude is a debt that that person has yet to be paid. And so logically we know that express gratitude closes that loop. It closes the unexpressed thing. That's why we express it. It closes the loop, it finishes the circle, closes the loop. And anytime anybody does anything for you, there's something incomplete until they receive something from you. It's an incomplete relationship until they receive something from you. And think about this. This is the bottom line. Gratitude, it's not enough to feel it. Gratitude is not enough to feel it. Now, if you were to go find the guys, like I said, the, and as Jesus is going uh, from Jerusalem and, they're, and they're, like, they're going to see the priest and all that, if you had asked them, are you grateful, other nine, what are they going to say? Yes, of course we feel grateful. Of course we feel it in our souls. 
In my soul, in my head, I feel grateful for everything that Jesus has done. I feel grateful that I get my life back and I can go back and I'm not an isolated person with these weirdos over in this camp. I get to be normal again. I feel grateful. But what we get is gratitude, it's not enough to feel it. You've got to express it. You've got to express it. And like I said, we're not going to express it all the same way. We're not going to have the same energy in our expressiveness. But this is important, especially for those of us who have the closest relationships to you. Gratitude is determinative. It either brings people closer to you or they experience it as rejection. So let me ask you a question. Have you been able to develop the habit of expressing gratitude? Have you been able to develop it? Have you found a way to actually do it? Have you found a way to swallow your pride and actually say, hey, I'm grateful for you? Because unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. Or to ask the question in the context of the story, are you going to be like the one? Or are you going to be like the nine? Are you going to be like the one? Or are you going to be like the nine? Are you going to be like the one that went back and paused his progress to say thank you? Or are you going to be like the nine and just feel it? Now, the problem with saying this with people that are in relationship with each other, and there's some marriages here and some people who are romantically involved, the problem is, is that you may be sitting next to someone and you're saying to yourself, I'm so glad Chris talked about this today. <laughs> And here's what you're thinking. If I was in your shoes, here's what I'd be saying. He is so right. That's always the right thing to say when I talk right. He's so right. I'm so grateful. I am so grateful for this person. But if I express gratitude tomorrow, they'll know that the only reason I'm doing it is because of this sermon. So I'm going to wait a couple of weeks. (laughs) What is that? There's a word for it. It's pride. It's pride. I get it. And none of us want a guy on a stage or right below a stage with lights telling us what to do. And I completely get that. And maybe you understand things better than I do. But let me explain to you the flip side of this. If you don't express gratitude, especially if that person is here right now or this person is aware that there's the loop that's closed during this season, if you don't express it, it's going to sting even more. And they're going to feel even more unappreciated. So do it. And especially if you're in the room with someone that you owe an expression of gratitude to, do it now. Like, not, not this second, but like do it like today. Or do it as soon as possible. And you can even reference me and you can sheepishly look at the ground and have your hand in your pocket. And you give a, you know, Chris was talking today about, and uh, Chris was talking about, you know, gratitude. And, and then just own it. Just own it and just do it. And they will appreciate it. They know you. They know the last time you expressed gratitude. No one is going to think that all of a sudden you just came up with this idea to express gratitude. Okay? So just own it and do it now. Okay? So um, there's a few questions uh, that you can ask yourself. If you're like, who do I owe a debt of gratitude to? Well, obviously, first and foremost, if you're a follower of Jesus, you owe everything to Jesus. And uh, find a way 
in the quietness of your own heart, maybe even during this last song, or this week to express that gratitude. The unique thing about being in a relationship with Jesus is that he doesn't lord it over us, uh, but he gives freely. Uh, he gives his relationship to us freely and his love and his generosity to us freely, but find a way to express it to God. But also, here's a few questions to help you think through who you might be taking uh, Taking pe- the kind of people you might be taking for granted. Um, start with that. Who are you taking for granted? Maybe you owe them a thank you. Who has facilitated your forward motion in life? Who do you owe a debt of gratitude to? Who are you grateful for in your heart, but who needs to hear it from your actual lips? Who needs to see it in your behavior? And who has greatly facilitated your progress? Like when you tell your story of success, who do you include in that story? Maybe that would be someone you could express it to. Don't you want to be the one and just not one of the nine? Doesn't make you feel like, yeah, I can do this. And yes, you can. And you can do it this week. Here's what I'm challenging you to do. I want to give you a homework assignment. Now, nobody wants homework at church, but tough. You're getting it. And normally we don't give out homework because it's Thanksgiving week. It should be a light week. What kind of teacher assigns homework on Thanksgiving week? It's me. Okay? But... No guilt if you don't do it, because I'm not the boss of you. Okay, it's just a challenge. Sometime between now and Thanksgiving, what I would do is I would write three notes. If I were you, I'd write three notes. And thankful, uh, be thankful in those notes. And be, uh, when you write those notes, write them in a way that details the ways that they've helped you. The ways in which you're grateful for them. And intentionally, or if you can't write a note, uh, for some reason, like you can't write a note, uh, (laughs) don't text, grateful, hashtag grateful, don't do that. (laughs) Texts are the lowest, you you DM them through Snapchat, hey, I'm grateful for you. (laughs) Yeah, or you know, or if you're on a dating app, don't go back to all your exes and say, I'm I'm grateful for my ex. So, uh, <laughs> there's a song, right? Yeah. What's her name? Ariana. Ariana, Ariana Venti? Okay, my bad. So, when you go to write these, the more detailed, the better. <laughs> and, what's that? No, no, everyone's with me, except, like, there's three people that are like, Remind me to look up Ariana Venti later. Who is that? (laughs) Listen, when you do this, you're doing the right thing. You're participating in healthier relationships. You're closing the loop. They already know what they did for you. Why hold off? Why keep it? You can have healthier friendships. You can have healthier marriage. And if you get into the habit of doing this, like, it's going to be good for you, and it's going to be good for you. And we can close the loop on a lot of relationships that we have right now. Some of you, uh, with Thanksgiving coming up, it brings up a lot of emotions. Um, Some of you like your families. Some of you tolerate your families. Some of you are pretending you like your families. And, um, you know, just consider. Consider the ways in which you can express gratitude. Let's be like the one. Let's not be like the nine. And let's express gratitude this Thanksgiving. Amen? Why don't we all stand? We're going we're gonna to worship one more time. And, um, 
we're going to, and as they're like, you know, coming in with the music, uh, we're going to press in uh, with what God might be saying uh, outside of what I prepared. And so let's just pause and let's welcome God's presence. And uh, I, I might be reaching out to the two of you to see if the Lord's doing anything. Um, so Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. And uh, God, I ask that you would uh, come and speak to us right now and see if there's anything else you want to say. So what we're doing right now is we're not shooting up all of our requests to God, like, dear God, please, this and that and the other. We're just waiting to see if God might speak something to us. In our hearts and our minds, he might give us a picture of something in our mind's eye. He might remind us of a set of Bible verses. He might be just doing something else altogether. But we believe that God is, can speak and he wants to touch us right now. So we welcome you, God. So we wait on you. What else do we need to hear from you today? <laughs> 